0: What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. Uh, The episode today is actually a republishing of an interview that I did on the Canadian Investor Podcast last week. And uh, two great guys involved in the kind of traditional uh, investment markets know very, very little about Bitcoin. And so the reason why I'm, I'm republishing it is because, you know, obviously a lot of the time we speak to each other, we're addressing each other in the kind of content that we create. Um, But we also often have those conversations with, uh, you know, people that don't know very much about Bitcoin, as we like to call them, the noobs. And um, I just thought that this might be a useful resource for some people in your life whom you've been trying to articulate this to, but nothing has really landed. And if they have any interest in, you know, kind of traditional investing at all, I think this might be could possibly be a good resource to share with them because obviously the interviewers are coming from that perspective and they're asking very basic and rudimentary questions. And of course I did my best job to, to answer them. So, you know, I, I think, I think it might be entertaining too because we don't often hear uh, podcasts where uh, many of us are talking to noobs, but I'm publishing it primarily because I think uh, it might be a great resource to share with those people in your life that, um, you know that that uh, haven't really gone down the rabbit hole yet, and if you've done that, and if that person is now listening, hi, my name is John. It's nice to meet you. So this in this episode, uh, I basically just run through some of the the major points around Bitcoin, try to give a bit of an introduction, and um, and try to explain some of the the reasons why myself and perhaps the person that directed you towards this podcast uh, are so excited about uh, this phenomenon. So if I could ask two favors, I would just say, one, I'd love to hear your feedback on how my kind of explanation, how I articulated uh, Bitcoin, because I'm always trying to refine that. And if you did end up introducing it to someone in your life, um, I'd love to hear what their reaction and response was. And of course, If this is your first Bitcoin podcast, thank you. It's an extreme honor. And if you'd like to know more from me, hit me up on Twitter. Happy to answer any questions that you might have. All right. Enjoy, guys.
1: Let's do
2: it. Welcome back, everyone, to the Canadian Investor. I'm joined by my co-host, Brayden Dennis. And we have a special guest today, John Vallis. Am I pronouncing that correctly, John? Uh Perfect. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Yeah, my French accent. You know, it's uh, it's not easy sometimes. Um, so John um, also has a podcast. It's called Bitcoin Rapid Fire. I've started listening to it probably about a month ago, month or so ago. So it's really interesting. If you guys are are looking to learn more about Bitcoin. Um, so we're going to focus obviously on cryptocurrency and Bitcoin today. So uh, John, I'll lead you to the floor. So tell us a bit about yourself, the podcast, and um, a bit of a primer for our listeners who are not super, who might not be familiar with uh, Bitcoin or crypto.
0: Sure, sure.
2: Well, first, thanks very much for the invite. It's always weird uh, to to
0: for to be on the other side of uh, of these interviews because I do so many where I'm I'm hosting things, but uh, appreciate the invite. I um, very brief background on me, and I'll, I'll leave out the stuff that's not relevant to maybe your audience, but I um, started my career in finance. I was working in wealth management in Shanghai, and uh, I did that for two or three years, really didn't like the um, the system, how things worked, just the, the very sales-like nature of the whole industry. And uh, so I ended up getting out of that and went in another direction for a while, and uh, during that time, I had started to learn, you know, as with, I'm sure the two of you i have always been a very curious person and, uh, money and monetary history was something that I always found fascinating. And uh, so I I had a lot of questions about the current monetary paradigm that, you know, we find ourselves in today and I was critical of it. And then, so, you know, and, and as a result, I was a gold bug since, you know, the age of 20, let's say, and thought, you know, if not, if we, even if we weren't going to return to a gold standard to fix some of the the, the stuff that was going on in, in the kind of the global monetary uh you know scene that at least it would be a hedge against uh, you know irresponsibility and, and other issues that might emerge and um and then somehow i can't remember the exact you know kind of origin story um i came across bitcoin and uh, like so many i i not having the kind of technical background to appreciate the innovation that it represented, I, uh, you know, I kind of overlooked it. And so, you know, more time went by and I kept hearing about it. And every time I heard about it, of course, I got a little bit more exposure, learned a little bit more about it. And uh, just, you know, as is so often the case, you kind of reach a threshold with, uh, you know, the exposure and what you're learning about it. And then there's just kind of this eureka moment where it clicks for you and you realize what it represents or at least you start to realize what it represents and then you kind of that's where your journey down the proverbial rabbit hole begins and uh, that was the case for me and so I really started getting interested in it in 2013 2014 and uh, started you know learning more about it and I um, I, you know, I'd all, I've always enjoyed recording a good conversation with with people, you know, regardless of what the subject matter is, pretty much, you know, just, you know, a, a good good chat about something interesting. And so whenever I came across people that were in the Bitcoin industry, I, uh, you know, I wanted to sit down with them. And the first instance of that was I was living in Shanghai and through a mutual friend, I met Bobby Lee, who at the time was the CEO and co-founder of the longest-running and one of the largest Bitcoin exchanges in the world. And, you know, funnily enough, actually, his office building was a stone's throw from my apartment building in Shanghai. So we got connected, and I, you know, I, I went over, and we recorded a chat, and that was in 2015, and that was my first, you know, formal Bitcoin interview. Um, and anyways, you know, I wasn't at the, you know, other things were going on in my life. Time goes by, and then I left the... Uh, shanghai in 2019 uh, traveled for a while wound up in thailand and i'd never been really that active on twitter but i um you know i'd always been kind of a lurker used it as kind of my own curated news you know follow things that i find interesting uh and somehow i guess just through following enough people that were talking about bitcoin i kind of realized that bitcoin twitter as it's known was was a thing and It's then that I realized that this conversation that I was always seeking to have with people in the industry was happening on a much broader scale and was incredibly rich, you know, intellectually rich and so many different people from so many different places coming at it from so many different angles. Um, And that's when I decided, okay, you know, I've I've got to I've got to try to foster more of these conversations. And that was the impetus for the podcast. And so I just uh, I started that in august of last year and uh, i've been speaking with the top you know experts entrepreneurs technologists um thinkers in the space ever since and it's been incredibly satisfying because you know it's basically what i've been doing when when the opportunity arose for the last five years and now i'm actually intentionally directing it and it's and it's, uh, and it's great so that's the story and so i started the podcast it's called the bitcoin rapid fire podcast and uh you know we uh, there's no particular point of it i mean it really is just me scratching my own itch and wanting to to have these conversations and connect with these people um and you know to the extent that uh, people have been listening and tuning in and enjoying it uh, you know that's that's wonderful and the the engagement that i get as a result of that you know on twitter and also you know just like emails and stuff has just been awesome I and mean, it just it just allows me to engage and and Absorb so much more from the community and what's going on in this uh, this space than I uh, You know than I than I could previously and so I'm super stoked about that um, As for Bitcoin <laughs> That's that's a that's a, a big question I'm, I'm I think the best way to do it is just to allow your guys's questions to kind of direct which way you want to take it but you know Bitcoin is you know The the the, the quick summary is it's an open source you know decentralized censorship resistant uh, method of communicating value over a communications channel, and you know that doesn't maybe sound like that um, groundbreaking to to people, but once you understand some of the aspects of it and some of the a lot of the 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 components of it were pre existing. There was only a couple of innovations, but one of the big You know, one part of that innovative process was bringing together a lot of innovations that hadn't been brought together before, um, to allow value to be communicated digitally over a communications channel, and and to disallow, um, you know, things like copying and double spending things in the digital realm, which previously had not been possible. And so this is done through a number of 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 different ways, but I don't want to get too far into the weeds too soon. So you know, I guess for for your listeners that you know aren't aware at all of bitcoin it is it is money on the internet and the 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 questions around well how can money exist on the internet those are the the ones that i'm I'm, perhaps we'll get into uh, as we
1: discuss but uh
0: yeah that's basically it so i'll let you guys uh you know take tell me where you want to take it from there
1: okay awesome yeah. It's it's certainly and it. in, yeah, I, I'm here guys, I'm here, don't worry. Um, <laughs> it's certainly interesting to hear your story and as someone who does not invest in cryptocurrency or any commodities for any uh, at all, it is interesting and I, I do have an open mind and, and I think a lot of these questions are very important right now around the mo- monetary policy is you know the hottest topic in financial news right now of course with this pandemic and it's very interesting to see someone you know intelligent like yourself have kind of a lot of the answers to why they're invested in, in crypto i think it's gotten a bad name over the last year or two because there has been a lot of sketchy things happening in crypto but the innovation behind it is very interesting. So I, I just want to go into my first question. Sure. Uh, about you know monetary policy that you touched yeah. on. Right now, the Fed and governments have shown all around the world that they will stop at nothing in their in their stimulus playbook to keep the economy going. And in a crypto-based society, I'm very curious and theorizing in my mind how this pandemic plays out without this kind of intervention and stimulus so i'm just wondering if from your your stance in a purely crypto society if that was to, you know if that was potentially possible how do you see this pandemic going down because you know you're seeing all the airline packages that are coming out today you know a lot of these businesses greatly impact you know our our regular life so i'm just curious as to how that would affect monetary policy
0: well i mean i think (laughs) i think it's showing a lot of you know people like us have probably been following this story and been interested in this stuff for a long time but i think this is bringing a lot of these considerations to the mainstream you know to top of mind and the mainstream lexicon for some of these terms like fiat money like money printer like You know, uh, you know, all the all these terms that are now popping up. And I think people well, I I, I think it's going to cause more people to just simply question, where does that money come from? If the Fed is going to put six trillion in or whatever the the ultimate number becomes and you're you're, you're actually seeing them like Kashkari, who's the head of the Minneapolis Fed. uh, And then you've got Powell um, talking about the fact that they have unlimited liquidity. So they're able to inject unlimited amounts of funds into the market. When people hear that, I think at least some kind of a bell will go off in some people's heads and say, how is that possible? Where is that coming from? Why do I have to work all day, every day to put food on the table and a roof over my head and to earn my money? And another group of people in the same economy, in the same society, are able to print unlimited amounts for free. And so I think, you know, I think that question is going to arise in more and more people's heads, especially in the context of everyone having a ton of time on their hands right now being stuck at home. Um, Now, I know like, you know, part of that is wishful thinking on my part. I know most people are just going to watch Netflix and have Zoom calls and that kind of stuff. But some people will spend the time and they'll they'll those questions will emerge as far as you know how it plays out. Obviously, in the world today, the global financial and economic system is incredibly integrated. And so, you know, the, no country is really an island. And uh, in particular, the US dollar is so integrated into global financial markets that, you know, a lot of things can take time to play out. One would think if you print six trillion dollars worth of money and just shove it into the economy, you'd see inflation. But, you may not because there's such a high demand for dollars all over the world to cover you know leverage positions and to pay down debt that, that's denominated in u.s dollars so you may see a deflationary period because of that and because demand has dried up so you you know you there's uh there's less demand for goods and services so you may see you know look at what, what what oil is doing so you may see deflation and then there's also there's many other factors to consider of course but ultimately, you know, my I guess thesis or, or perspective, and that of many people in in the Bitcoin space, is that, and and certainly this is consistent if you if you study monetary history at all, that there's no free lunch. Ultimately, you you cannot a money that's created at zero cost is not sustainable in the long term. And so I think we'll look back on this as you know the grand fiat experiment. And I think the the ultimate conclusion of it will be pretty disastrous, and I think we're seeing really desperate attempts right now, um, whereby you know when there's economic turmoil. First of all, the fragility of the economic system. I mean, you know, um, to to be put in this position. But I think we'll see that the the abuses. I mean, most people don't know, but the re, you know the, the the Fed was pretty much injecting liquidity since last September because there was a lot of imbalances uh, in the system and they were trying to kind of cover those over. And so the, the, the virus, yes. I mean, when you, when you dry up all demand, that's going to create a tremendous amount of hurt across the entire economy because all sorts of businesses, whether they're leveraged up or not, uh, basically have zero revenue. So of course, that's going to cause a lot of, a lot of pain and hurt, but these problems have been festering for a very long time and we're coming to a head as early as last, last September. Um, but I think, you know, we're, we're seeing desperate attempts, whether it's, um, you know, injecting liquidity, expanding the balance sheet at the Fed, all the different, you know, they're changing their, their mandate uh, in terms of what they're able to purchase in these quantitative easing rounds and, and asset, buy, uh, asset purchases. And so um, this is not how economies are supposed to work. They're not supposed to be completely managed by central banks. And further to that, you mentioned the airlines. Look. I know people are sensitive to saying, like, let gigantic companies fail, whether because they employ a lot of people or whether because they're essential services or whether because they're, you know, national defense or whatever. But the fact is, is that the, the, mor- the moral hazard that's, that was created actually in 2008 has been baked into the, the business models of a lot of the biggest companies in the world, and particularly the United States now. So those airlines, over the last 10 years— They've been borrowing money at extremely cheap rates to buy back shares, to bolster their stock performance so that upper management could get big bonuses and stockholders could do well, right? Everyone knew that it wasn't sustainable, but the option was there to do it. And they knew that push come to shove, if things really went awry, which they are now doing, that they would very likely, probability is very high, that they would get a bailout. So when you corrupt the economic calculation like that in, an, in in a supposedly free market economy, then you pervert you know so many you pervert the very essence of what a free market economy is supposed to be. If you mismanage your your company, you're supposed to fail. Those who are managing it properly, that your competitors are able to come in, take up your assets on the cheap, repurpose them, and become the dominant player or you know an enhancer position in in the in the market. That's not being allowed to happen right now. And uh, I don't think it can persist forever. You know, I thought in 2008 that uh, things were, um, that, that the level of intervention was was too high and we might see um, a lot of turmoil as a result. But it seems like the can was successfully kicked down the road another 10, 11 years. And the degree to which the central banks all around the world would go to continue to prop things up um, exceeded my expectations. And now we're seeing like a tremendous amount in such a short period of time. And so, I guess to answer your, your question, I think ultimately, aside from this deflationary period that we may find ourselves in right now, uh, there's going to be, you know, obviously tremendous levels of debt. And so, when the government, you know, takes on debt, that should just be construed and understood by people as being future taxes. That's what it is for, for the people of a country. And, you know, when they create money out of thin air, they're baking into the system inflation. Now, there's so many different variables, financial and economic, that may suppress that for a given period of time. But you just can't simply create money out of thin air and not expect inflation to occur. And the last point I'll make on that is, you know, the CPI has been a the consumer price index for measuring inflation is a, is a pretty um, – Uh, it's pretty sketchy way to look at inflation because it kind of takes a basket of goods where inflation is less represented and leaves out the ones in which it is much more represented, just as an example, let's say in college tuition. And so, um, I think, yeah, I, I think ultimately we'll see inflation. It's not clear exactly when that will happen, but uh, you know, higher taxes as a result of all the debt and inflation to try to monetize that debt, um, At some point and in that environment, I believe that, you know, hard assets uh, and in my my opinion, ultimately, at the end of that, a hard money is what we're going to need to return to to course correct. Um, And I, you know, that's part of the reason why I'm so interested in Bitcoin.
1: Those are very good points. Uh, And I, I, I get it. I do. I do get that. And what you said on on the last piece there is is hard money or or real assets. My question for you is why would someone like you or someone else who is is interested in a hedge against fiat currency because Mm -hmm. of all of those reasons you just listed, why don't I just go buy some real gold or, or why don't I go buy some silver and throw it under my bed? Why crypto?
0: Well, I mean, I make the distinction between crypto and Bitcoin. I, I don't uh, I don't see a case for any any others, I think. So the, the answer to your question is, I think Bitcoin is the next evolution in money. I So, you know, again, but going back to that interest in monetary history. Human civilization, as long as long as we have records, we've always recognized the need for money. Money is the the fundamental mechanism for organizing human economic interaction, right? Um, it solves, you know, in extremely primitive um, societies, we might have been okay with barter, right? But, you know, of course, in barter, you have the problem of d- the double coincidence of wants. You have to want what I have, I have to want what you have. And if that's not the case, then we can't make a trade, and we're both worse off. Or the other way that that was managed way back when was with debt. So you have apples and I want apples, but I have nothing that you want in return. So I say, okay, you give me the five apples and at some point in the future, I'll give you something that you want of equivalent value. Now, as you can imagine, that would get messy very quickly. So money has always been something that we needed to facilitate that voluntary interaction um, between uh, people. And the the specialization that, that 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 allowed for is a big part of the reason why we continue you know on, on average over a long long period of time to continue to improve and advance as a civilization um, and so you know we've used things like shells and beads and salt and um, stones and of course the precious metals as money and money is always uh, just uh, assessed based on its attributes how well do its attributes facilitate the function that we require of it? So in this case, it's, well, in, in all cases, it's what what substance fulfills our need the most, and our need is facilitating uh, exchange between people. And so, you know, there's there's several attributes of money. One is scarcity, one is durability, one is recognizability, another is divisibility, and, and uh, this, is how, this is the kind of scale on which monies in the past have been judged. And the reason why we landed on the precious metals, and in particular gold, was because extremely durable, of course. It's scarce. It's h- very hard to get. It requires a lot of work and energy to access. It's relatively recognizable, although that's also simultaneously a drawback uh, of gold. And I'll just on a little tangent on that and bring me back if I lose my spot. But, you know, we we select money based on how well it fulfills the needs we have for it. But we also have to put up with the workarounds required to account for its deficiencies. So in this case, you know, let's say gold had all those other great attributes as money. But also, I don't as an individual citizen, for example, have the capability to assay gold and, you know, Make sure that it, if you give me a coin of a gold coin, it actually is a gold coin and not some, you know, some look-alike. So, what's required to work around That's that that deficiency, that drawback in its inherent attributes? Well, one is use a, a centralized, a trusted third party. So, you know, to oversimplify things, let's say, you know, way back when. Okay, people recognize that, that gold has all these properties. It's pretty useful as a medium of exchange and that kind of thing. But we, you know, we can't really trust that you are giving me gold or I'm giving you gold. So, let's, you know, let's trust it with a third party. And and also, it, as it becomes monetized and it becomes extremely valuable, I don't really want to hold my gold in my house because you know you or a gang of people could just come rob me. So I'm going to give it to the strongest guy in the in the village. You know, he and his gang are pretty strong. They can they can, you know. Uh, repel any any sort of attack. And so we get the centralization of, of gold as a result. Now, I'm sure there's other variables, that, but this could very well be uh, the case for why we have kind of the emergent structure of of society at that time. And so let's say, you know, this is how kind of a kingship or uh, emerges. And so what do we have back in the day? We have the king's face stamped on gold coins, you know, obviously I'm fast forwarding, but we have that. And Part of the reason for that is so that I can be reasonably assured that when you give me a gold coin stamped with the king's face, that the likelihood is greater that it's real gold and it's not uh, not some some fake stuff. So anyways, that's all just to say that money is judged on its, its inherent attributes and how well it facilitates voluntary exchange and savings, of course. So exchange with, with each other or exchange across time with ourselves, that would be the, the store of value function. Uh, but we had to deal with its drawbacks as well. And uh, in the, to, to answer your question directly, in the context of today, um, up until Bitcoin, like I said, I was a gold bug because I thought it was hard. it was hard money. And hard money just means there's a high cost to its production and that serves as an effective limit on its supply so that it can't be willy nilly inflated away by parties that would seek to do so. The, the supply can't be increased um, easily, right? So, you know, gold's inflation rate is about 2%, which just means the the new stock that comes on uh, every year to the existing supply is about 2%, which is an effective growth in the supply, which is inflation. And so, you know, that was that was the best money around for a long time. And the Bitcoin innovation, I believe, again, is... Is an upgrade in that. And so I think there's fewer drawbacks to Bitcoin as a form of money, especially in today's society. I mean, gold is great just as uh, an inflation hedge. And as a side note, I I think because gold is still so entrenched uh, in, you know, around the world, I think in the environment that we're going into, it'll probably still perform pretty well. But you know, I'm not interested in pretty well. I'm interested in in what's going to be the best thing for the future. And the fact is that if I can have something akin to gold in that it's you know equally hard and expensive and costly to obtain and produce, but it can be sent over a communications channel in extremely and it's extremely divisible and I can use it to send money around the world instantaneously. Well, that's certainly an upgrade over having a, a you know gold coin in a, a safety deposit box in the bank, which is effectively unusable except for that hedge against inflation. So if I want to convert it to a, a paper currency at some point in the future, perhaps I've preserved some, pur- some uh, purchasing power. So, uh, it, you know, in that context, I'm not that interested in, in the precious metals. Again, though, I think because they're so ingrained, the, here's an example. The three of us probably use uh, Twitter or the Internet for the vast majority of our our news or the information we want to get access to. Right. It can make sense. We can get access to the information we want that's relevant to us at the click of a button. Why the hell would you not? But there's still a lot of people in the world, probably, you know, over the age of 60 that read newspapers every day for their information. They don't choose what news they read it's in a weird medium where they have to go and pay a buck for it and fold it out in front of their faces. And it's, you know, um, they have to wait for it to be delivered or what are the case cases. So even though a far superior product exists, i.e. the internet and the apps that exist on it for obtaining news and information, newspapers still exist as well because some people are resistant to change and they're not judging things uh, purely based on, um, you know, the, the, their attributes, they're judging things based on things that they're comfortable with and things that they're used to and things that are known. So, um, you know, to bring it back to Bitcoin and gold, I think gold will persist for that reason. But I think Bitcoin is a far superior form of money, especially in the modern world. And that's why, uh, myself and, and many other people are so, uh, so passionately engaging in it.
2: Thanks a lot, John. That was a really good, really thorough answer. Um, And I wanted to ask you, so obviously in 2017, 2018, there was a whole crypto craze. Uh, Bitcoin went over, I think, 20k um, US, if I remember correctly, around its peak. And then there was a, a, a big correction afterwards, but it was cryptos as a whole. So I know there's other prominent one, XRP, Ethereum. Um, one of my buddies has been like fully in crypto since, I think, 2010. Um, he's the one who actually got me interested in that. Uh, as a side note, I got burnt uh, with one of the exchanges early on, so I only recently started adding to uh, Bitcoin and a little bit of Ethereum. And it is mine. It actually goes back to what you just said. Is in his mind for him bitcoin is kind of the original uh, cryptocurrency and his opinion is that there are better ones out there um so what are your thoughts on that is bitcoin still the one like uncorruptible cryptocurrency that really has a limit supply and uh, really an incentive like It's very difficult for people to uh, try and corrupt it uh, for various different reasons. Um, So what are your thoughts on that? Do you like see value in other cryptocurrencies? Um, Do you think there might be some better ones out there with, uh, you know, more speed in terms of uh, transaction speed and things like that? I just wanted your a bit more details on that for your thoughts on it.
0: Yeah, there's uh, I'm only interested in Bitcoin. there are def i mean there's thousands of cryptocurrencies at this p- this point because bitcoin kind of let the cat out of the bag you know and so it's it's open source software you can look at it and you can say oh okay i'll do something similar i'll tweak this i'll tweak that and there are other cryptocurrencies that you know that talk about fancy flashy features that you know presume to make it better than bitcoin but i i think they miss a lot of things and there's so much to consider here i mean one i think you know dominant money and that's just one aspect of bitcoin but let's let's focus on that for a second is a relatively zero sum game like a winner take most sort of scenario and i just think in in all of these other cryptos where they're you know they're they're doing x for y and it's all very very interesting and exciting but ultimately they're also st- attempting to be a token of value a monetary instrument what you know whether they settle out in that after they do whatever they do and i can't see and i haven't heard a compelling argument why as money you would prefer to hold you know fill in the blank cryptocurrency um than bitcoin also i think you know i don't think bitcoin's launch can be replicated so i think the launches of all these other cryptocurrencies have been highly centralized and you know big initial payouts to the founders and and also just people you know, people jumped on them early to try to get rich quick. One of the amazing things about Bitcoin's distribution was nobody knew what the hell this was when it was first launched. And so, you know, went out to a a cryptography mailing list and they passed the idea back and forth. And some people were for it. And some people, you know, some people were critical. I mean, and some people, you know, thought it was amazing new innovation. And, um, and, and so it kind of distributed itself organically. Uh, and I don't think that can be replicated. Then you layer on top of that the network effects that Bitcoin has established. I mean, it, it's and these network effects are very difficult to to overcome. But Bitcoin has the bulk of the, you know, um, companies and and apps built on top of its protocol. It obviously has the bulk of the the monetary component of all this with, you know, more than 10 times the I believe or almost 10 times the market cap of, of, of the next uh, largest cryptocurrency. Um, I think it's got, you know, the soundest, most immutable, unchanging monetary principles. Um, I think it's the most distributed in, in terms of people who hold it and use it. I think it has the most more robust. And, you know, I know the Ethereum people will get mad at me for this, but I, I think it has the best approach, let's say, to to development. Um and I think so. Pe- people see it and they don't know what to think because they think, well, you know, Bitcoin's the MySpace and XYZ could be the Facebook. You know, the, the first is rarely, rarely the best. But I think it's more similar to how the internet developed. You know, there was different protocols on which you know uh, were proposed for the internet, but you know, TCP/IP and TCP/IP were. Um, were the ones used to basically, you know, form the basis of the internet for transferring, you know, information um, on the internet, and everything else was built on top of that, you know, um, HTTP, etc. And so I think if, if, it, the, what's important with Bitcoin is that the base layer is ironclad; it's it's as secure as possible, and you know, it definitely is that right now. And then when we want to and we want to, you know, this is a very high stakes game that's being played. You know, we're, we're competing for the next iteration of global money. And of course, there's going to be lots of parties that seek to slow or stop that, not least of which will be, you know, the, the major governments around the world and the major central banking interests. And, we, you know, the approach to Bitcoin's development is making sure that that base layer, it's not important right now that you can't. You, you can't economically buy a coffee, uh, let's say, with doing a, a transaction on the Bitcoin base layer. Although right now you probably can because, there's, there's, you know, there's not a great deal of activity on it. But let's say in December of, of 17 when it was, you know, like five, ten, twenty dollars to make a transaction. Is that a big problem for the world today? In a world where you have Venmo and PayPal and WeChat and Alipay and all this kind of stuff. You know, buying a coffee with your phone is not a big pain point. Disrupting the monopoly that central banks have on the issuance of currency and the disruptions that that creates in in economies all over the world, that's a big problem. And so Bitcoin is addressing the big problem first in making sure that the, the, the base layer protocol is ironclad and secure and then, as things develop, as the economic uh, develop, and as the economic mass of Bitcoin grows, and it, it's distributed more and more and more people's hands, and it's further integrated into the existing financial system, and then you know those battles are won along the way, then we'll look more to not will, but then you know the 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 community, and it's not you know it's not a definable community, but then the approach to Bitcoin will be solving. Um, other problems that are lower down the ladder, and you know, just to that point, another protocol that's been built on top of Bitcoin already, and it's still relatively new, um, but there's lots of act- development activity on it. Is the Lightning Network, and so this is this does actually, or you know, it, it's attempting to solve the problem of you know uh, microtransactions. Let's say so, extremely fast and extremely cheap transactions so again it's we're you know 11 years into bitcoin and this is just emerging because it's not a huge pain point in the world most of us don't have a problem paying for coffee but you know a lot of other a lot of people have problem with having their savings destroyed from inflation in in their national currency or from the undue power and influence granted to central banks and governments as a result of being able to create currency at free or for free um and so that's you know that's the the bigger pain point, and that's why Bitcoin has focused on that. And so I think I don't I don't see Bitcoin being unseated. I actually see Bitcoin unseeding or you are know, taking market cap, uh, you know, continuing the trend of con- taking market cap away from the other existing cryptocurrencies that really had a you know big bubble in 2017, and continuing on its very conservative development path out of a recognition that we need to keep the main thing the main thing uh and then once those battles are won and those hurdles are are crossed uh we can add more functionality into um that network or on a you know protocol networks that are layered on top of the bitcoin base layer once its security um uh, and utility on the base layer has been established as as ironclad so uh, you know i think um I think every, I think to to want more from it at this stage, is being greedy because the, the um, what it's seeking to do even now is far more important than, you know, uh, cheap transactions when you're when you're buying coffee. So I'm I'm not I'm not concerned at all about about that issue, and uh, I think it's it's got the right goal in its sights, and I think it's doing extremely well.
1: John man, you're a wizard, Jesus. You got all these uh, <laughs> and uh, we should mention that you're a Canadian lad as well. So uh, this is the Canadian investor podcast. So and go, I'm a new on top of that so and you're points. a new yeah, <laughs> on top of all that. no, it, it is it's refreshing to hear, you know, all these points that you're talking about because, you know, as someone who's basically not interested in commodities, and 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 Bitcoin for you know, as my entire time as an investor, all of the cases for it, you are definitely swaying my mind. And I'm thinking during this conversation, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I'm not there yet, but uh, you're doing a you're doing a good job. So right now, uh, one Bitcoin trades for just a little over nine and a half thousand Canadian dollars right now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and. Not to keep going back to gold because you've talked about why you would prefer a Bitcoin over owning gold. But I I look at them very, very similarly in terms of the case for them. And and for me, it's, yes, there is problems with fiat currency. I know that a lot of people know that Uh, it's just, it is what it is. So when I look at it, nine and a half thousand dollars, Canadian dollars, and... Uh, Gold is always compared to what is the price in terms of fiat currency. That that denominator is always Canadian dollars or US dollars or whatever it may be. And my question to you is, gold bugs or, or people who are in Bitcoin, they're always tracking that chart. And for me, I look at it and go, wait. Why are you tracking it against the one thing that I think that it is seeking to solve or seeking to correct? And when I look at that chart and see how how Bitcoin has performed to a fiat currency, I look at that and I go, "That well, that doesn't tell me anything. That doesn't mean anything because you know you're you're look you're looking at its performance compared to what it seeks to address." So when people are looking to make a buck, improve their life with Investing in gold, investing in cryptocurrency or, or Bitcoin in this case, how do you say how do you address its performance beyond just the denominator being fiat currency? Because to me that that doesn't make any sense to my brain. If I'm looking to make money in fiat currency, then why would I be investing in something like Bitcoin or like gold? That doesn't produce any sort of, uh, value. It just kind of sits there and looks pretty. so I, i'm I'm curious to take uh, hear your take on that when the denominator is the thing that it seeks to solve.
0: I, th- I think if I understand tell me if I, I'm misunderstanding this, but I mean, I think part a part of that answer is just that, you know what else, how else are we going to judge it? i mean the 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 financial world, is valued in the various national currencies and the major currencies and, you know, U.S. dollar being chief among them. And so what better, really, a representation of how well an asset that seeks to be a hedge against the failure of said currency uh, be than reflecting that in the currency itself? So, you know, you could say that Bitcoin has gone from less than a penny in U.S. dollars to, you know, 6,700 today. Or you could say the U.S. dollar has lost, you know, that much value against Bitcoin. And so, you know, and obviously it's it's not either of those exclusively. You know, part of the reason investing is, is speculating, right? You're making you're, you're deploying your capital today and thinking that it doesn't doesn't even really matter if the thing that you are investing in produces value or not. Your bet is that in some f- future a point in the future Somebody is going to pay you more for the asset that you hold. It's up to them to make that value determination. All you're, the 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 you're speculating that an asset that you you acquire today will be worth more in the future. And so, you know, as far as why the denominator, I mean, what else could we use? Now, I'll I'll say something that you know only the hardcore Bitcoiners will get, um, but kind of speaking to your point, is a lot of people in this space. Because of, you know, for the reason you mentioned, prefer to just quote the price of Bitcoin as one Bitcoin, uh, which, you know, is more playful than anything else, because it's not very helpful in in determining, you know, how this is growing or the economic mass that that Bitcoin represents. But, you know, like all inflation hedges, like whether it's commodities or gold, wheat, sugar, Bitcoin, whatever. I mean, that is that is the measuring stick. And actually, that is part of the problem, you know, in in having a measuring stick that is so inconsistent. Right. If I if we used, you know, let's take the metric simple metric system as an example. If the length of a meter was always changing, then we'd have fucked up buildings everywhere and we'd have, you know, weird slants to things. And we'd have, you know, it it would be very disruptive in architecture and engineering and everything else we use. The metric system for well, money is meant to be the primary unit of measure for economic calculation, and so when we have a money that's uh, whose measuring stick constantly changes, i.e., its value constantly changes because of the increase in supply, uh, then it makes it it becomes a very disruptive force, unbeknownst to most people, of course. But it becomes a very disruptive force in the process of economic calculation, which is why, historically, we've been on some kind of a hard money standard or the hardest that was available, whether they be seashells or gold, because at least we knew that as a unit of economic measure, that the the the, the range of change, you know, the kind of bands of change that we would expect from something like gold would be relatively minor. Yeah, from one year to the next, you know, the, the supply might go from... The supply increase might be one percent or three percent, but with fiat currency, we don't know. You know, we have we have. You know, central banks might publish the differences in the, in the in the money supply figures, but you know, to have the money supply change so rapidly, um, and you know, in in many ways, in very kind of secretive ways, that just causes a lot of disruption with economic calculation. So I think you know, Bitcoin. You could presume that it's just a reflection in. Um, you know, weakness or degradation in whatever fiat currency is being used to price it in.
1: Okay, so just one more quick question because I'm an absolute noob. So okay. if I have one Bitcoin that's worth ninety five hundred Canadian dollars, do they plan on have some splitting mechanism in the future if it was to be used as a I'm gonna go buy a Starbucks? Because obviously we're talking about fractional amounts of Bitcoin
2: right, to be right.
1: able to to do that purchase, and if that's something that's super elementary, uh, sorry, but
2: I, no, I'm just trying to wrap it, my wait, head
1: around that. Yeah, oh yeah, man, it, I
2: know it, that it, answer, <laughs> so Simon. Before. You got it, man. No, 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 no it's all good. <laughs> URLs, you go ahead.
0: Well, well, I, I was gonna. Yes, it's elementary, but I'm happy to answer it. And the 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 answer is that. Every bitcoin is composed of a hundred million what's called satoshis, and Satoshi Nakamoto is the pseudonymous uh, creator of, of bitcoin. And uh, these, uh, so every bitcoin is composed of a hundred million satoshis. This is the smallest unit of a bitcoin, and so you know, you take the price of bitcoin divided by a hundred million, and that's how small a satoshi is. So it's you know, it's less than pennies, and um, and yeah, so that's how you. You, you you never have you never have any problem spending a fraction of a bitcoin if that's what your question is because it can be div- divisible up to I think eight decimal points so it's 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 not currently a problem now if we see you know a hundred million dollar bitcoin in the future then you know for sub sub dollar payments we might have to come up with something else but I as far as I know that's already you know in the works so and we, can you currently
1: to- buy them in. Measure of satoshis, or are you yes. just in fra- fractions of Bitcoin? And you, so you currently can buy it in that denomination.
0: Yeah, you can buy a dollar okay. worth of Bitcoin, and either in in the in the app that you get it in, it'll be represented as like 0. 0.000 whatever, however many zeros one. Or you know, some apps are beginning to actually, uh, if you choose, it's a, you know, it's a, in the settings you can choose this to um, represent it in satoshis, which are also shorthand called uh, sats s-a-t-s and so mm-hmm. you know if you if you had uh, half of half of a bitcoin you your app might just say it as 50 million sats
1: okay thanks for answering the the rookie of all rookie questions that <laughs> makes a lot of sense to me though all right perfect.
0: Yeah. so that goes back to the function of money of being divisible right so it's extremely divisible and again that's another reason why um bitcoin in my opinion, and it's, if we just compare it to something like gold. I mean, this is the reason for fiat currency in the first place, because gold was not very divisible. And so this is, you know, one of my comebacks when I have these talks with, with gold bugs is, gold is why we're here. Gold is not gonna fix any of these problems. You know, going back to a gold standard, even if we, there was political will to do that, will be as short-lived as the last time we did it. because Because gold is not easily divisible, what happened was you store your gold at a centralized you know trusted party that would that would protect it for you and they would issue paper notes to represent the gold that you own in whatever denominations you acquired and so this is where paper money originally came from is they were receipts for precious metal metals held in banks or storage vaults or warehouses or whatever and so fiat currency is the was meant to you know again going back to what i said right at the beginning was one of the workarounds for the the one of the inherent drawbacks of using gold as money. So all monies have inherent drawbacks and they also have qualities that we desire. And we need to strike a balance obviously to make them work for the purposes that we have for them. And part of striking the balance for, for gold was, okay, it's a hard money. It's hard to get. It's inflation resistant. You know, it's uh, it, it ticks the boxes on a, or sorry, it, it scores highly on a lot of the the criteria that we have for money. But damn, you know, it's hard to divide it up and spend it if I want to buy a loaf of bread or, you know, whatever. And so fiat currency was the workaround to make it more usable. And uh, as we're seeing now, it's a workaround that was not resistant to abuse. And in 1971, that that became abundantly clear when we came off a gold standard and went to a completely fiat uh, currency system. And again, it's 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 an example of a fatal flaw in gold. So. Of course, up until 2009, we didn't have a choice. It was still, you know, the, the best form of money we had. But now we do. And, uh, you know, again, hence my my excitement around Bitcoin.
2: Oh, great answer. Um, Braden, did you have other questions for John? Or, or did you want to wrap this up? I don't know, how, John, how much time you have uh, on your hands. I got as uh, much time as you need.
1: I think okay. that it's good you, you touched on that piece of gold. Because like I said, up until this very moment, I've thought of them as the exact same investment in terms of they are a a hedge against fiat currency and gold is not the solution and that's why yeah like you said the current system has gone on for so long and gold has not been a solution because yeah it's not divisible it's not convenient nothing about it is electronic as we move to a completely cashless society so I I do I, I get it more than gold and it makes sense so from a pure currency perspective I get it now my investing style is Investing in quality companies that create value for customers and for society, in mm. purely creating value, whatever form that may be. If I'm an investor and I'm looking to invest in a currency, in this case Bitcoin, other than just sit there and hope that the price of it goes up, what is your kind of goal? Because as an investor, you have to be goals-oriented. You have to position your whole portfolio around what your goal is. So if I, I don't know what your portfolio consists of, if you're like 100% wholly in Bitcoin or, or, or whatever it may be. It doesn't really matter. But what does is, what is the end game look for you? What does is, what is the kind of target uh, look like? And and I know that's a really broad broad question, but I'm just wondering what... You seek long term other than, you know, its value increases or move to that as a society. Yeah,
0: great question. And I'll just I'll touch on the last point you made about gold before I move on. But one of the things that's always going to um, be detrimental to gold and one of the things that people are so excited that, you know, in Bitcoin, because it, it changes that dynamic is that. No matter how hard, you know, you'll get a lot of the gold bugs and the, you know, the hard money folks uh, really interested in gold. But the thing is, is it's always going to be permissioned, right? So, yes, you know, the, the, the U.S. might return to a gold standard, but they can come off it whenever they want. And your use of it will require third parties. Now, whether that third party is a central bank that issues a fiat currency so that you can use your gold that's stored in a vault, Or whether it's a company that allows you to, you know, have a debit card that basically shifts around allocated gold when you want to spend money and that kind of thing. It's always going to be permissioned. And in an environment that we're seeing today where, you know, there's a a tremendous amount of censorship of all kinds, um, that's not, you know, that's not satisfactory for a lot of people. And one of the, 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 the prime value props of Bitcoin is that it's permissionless. Now, I'm not saying that people can't, you know. That large organizations, governments, et cetera, can't slow it down, make it difficult, make your life difficult, and that kind of stuff. but it 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 still functions without the permission of any third party, government company, or whatever. And that's why it's so you know so powerful in that it doesn't require a third party to use it, and you don't require the cooperation of anyone other than the person with whom you're transacting in order to make that transaction. And if we go back to one of the fundamental functions of money in that it's a primary uh, mechanism for organizing human economic interaction between voluntarily exchanging individuals, then that's a pretty powerful concept. Uh, to answer your question about what what's my goal? Actually, I'll answer the first part of your question where you said, you know, I'm interested in, in investing in companies. And to that I would say, you know, I get it, but one, I don't think so you said, I mean, you said I'm interested in investing in, com- in companies that create value. And my genuine belief is that nothing in civilization and human culture is more valuable than the money in use. And we have, you know, it's very easy to prove that because money is the other side of every single transaction. And again, if I can take a little bit of a tangent, is that Money is always just the most saleable good in, in a free market, right? Obviously, we have legal tender laws, which, you know, the government requires us to use the money that they produce. But in, you know, if, if in, in free emerging free markets, what we we've always required money, we've even subconsciously recognized a need for money in order to facilitate cooperation and exchange and in any given market. The thing which is the most saleable becomes money. A great example is a prison environment, right? We all know that in a prison environment, cigarettes become money. Why? Because they're the most in-demand product in that market. There might be soap, there might be bedsheets, there might be shivs or whatever the hell else. But cigarettes are the most in-demand, so they become the currency. If the three of us were in a market and, you know, Braden had apples, Simon had oranges, I had peaches, and I, we all liked peaches, and then for the other ones, only two out of three liked them, then peaches would become the currency. So the money, what the, the most saleable good in, a, in a, a free market becomes money. And so I think nothing is more valuable than the money that freely emerges in a free market because of the function that it serves the most important function which is facilitating the trade of all other goods. that's why it's so important and that's the value that it has and, and so that's why I'm you know from an investment perspective, I do think I'm investing in something that is creating the most value, far from you know not creating it any at all. Um, and then you know as a, some you know a lesser point to that is if in let's say you know 95, early 90s, you know, you could have invested in I don't know Alta Vista, right? A search search site that's no longer with us, but was uh, was uh, was around for a while back then. Or even let's make it let's make it current Google, right? That would have been a si- an amazing investment. But what if you could have actually invested in a piece of the internet itself and derived value from all the companies and services and apps that use the internet to provide their services? Right. So what, what, what if basically you could, you, know, you were the toll on the toll road that led to all the different things that people wanted to go to? Would that be a, a safer, more conservative, and ultimately better investment than trying to pick and choose which companies on top of that system were going to be successful? I think yes. But of course, that's, that's for everybody to decide. Uh, and then to answer your, your question directly is what's, what's the end goal? I mean, for me, the end goal is twofold on a on a macro level it's it's simply engaging in the ongoing process that's been happening since you know as far back as we know of adopting new forms of money and sorry adopting upgraded forms of money when they emerge because of what they represent and because of what they are able to create in terms of the society, culture, and civilization in which we live. In my view, you upgrade the money, and I again, I think this is uh, is is easily provable if we go back through the history of money, but i won't I won't touch on it here. but just to succinctly say, you upgrade the money, you upgrade the civilization um, because the more functionality the money has, the more trusted the money can be, the more freely the money flows, the more frictionless it flows, rather.. Um, the more exchange you get, the more wealth that's created, the more products and services and goods and innovation you will see. And so from you know, my macro level desire is to see that. I want us to advance. I want to have the most prosperous, peaceful, uh, enjoyable existence for myself and you know, everybody else on this planet that we can have. And I, I believe adopting the best form of money is the most reliable way to get there. As a secondary um, goal, or kind of on the way to that goal, is I just think it's an incredible injustice that um, we are currently in an environment where very small groups of people all over the world have the power to create wealth uh, out of thin air for free at no cost. Uh, and the the power that they derive from the ability to do that creates a tremendous Power imbalance in the world, which in some areas, jurisdictions, and instances has manifested in like you know really horrible results, and in others less horrible or more insidious or or less obvious. But I just think the the power imbalance that that creates uh, creates a lot of uh, undesirable manifestations in the world around us, which you know some are obvious and some take a little bit more inquiry to to be aware of. And i I want that to end. And so you know, having a money that no central authority controls, that no entity, no matter how powerful, can you know manipulate, um, I'm you know, I'm for that because I think it will net and manifest a uh, a far uh, a far for lack of a, you know, more descriptive term, a far better world for everybody, a fairer world, a world where there's more, uh, equal opportunity for people, um, and so those two things are the primary reasons. And then, I guess the third is just you know I'm 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 intellectually extremely curious about it, and I, I every kind of nook and cranny I go down that rabbit hole that I mentioned earlier is so rich with um, with so much to learn and and so many great people to learn from. And so uh, it's not only do I have this kind of goal, as you mentioned, kind of at the end of the tunnel. But the journey itself is just so damn rewarding and enjoyable that uh, I can't think of anything I'd rather be doing.
2: Um, so, John, I have, I guess, to wrap things up, uh, two quick questions for you. Well, maybe not so quick, but uh, the first one would be <laughs> <laughs> uh, the first one would be is um, what do you think what will it take for the world to no longer use the I guess you can make a case that the U.S. dollar is probably the the standard currently in terms of fiat sure. currency. Yeah. And um, so what would it take for that to massively change around the world where they would change to a, a Bitcoin standard? And obviously, there's there's the book uh, called The Bitcoin Standard, which I strongly recommend that people read or mm-hmm. listen to the audiobook uh, like I did uh, in the past month. Um, so what would it take to do that and my second question for those who want to learn more about bitcoin or cryptocurrency um do you have some books or uh material for people to learn more or uh just some tips advice uh, to provide our listeners absolutely
0: so the the first question is what would it take look the whole point of this is that nobody's going to decide it right it's going to be an economic reality that people realize um, and this has been the trend since Bitcoin's inception, you know, I'm not the, the you know, the guy that was always meant to proselytize for Bitcoin. I'm just a normal person who came across this thing and it just made sense and it made more and more sense the deeper I got into it. And so that's part of Bitcoin's genius in, in what it represents and the aligned incentive structure um, that it permits and, and, and allows for. So and how resistant it is to people messing with that. So i have i don't think for a second although it's certainly possible but i I don't think it's probable that any major government or central bank around the world is going to say all right guys you know we messed up but uh you know we'll just switch it over to bitcoin now and everything will be cool because you know bitcoin is the antithesis to the system that they are currently at the helm of if if they don't have the power to manipulate uh the supply of the money if they don't have the power to restrict the flows of the money if they don't have the ability to skim off the top of 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 you know being the ones to to create and initiate the the money into that system then it's not it's not valuable to them you know bitcoin that's the whole point it can't be controlled so i don't think any uh centralized uh, body or authority that seeks to control money will be interested in it, and again, and will probably resist it, you know, pretty aggressively. But that's the, you know, that's one of the the genius um, aspects of Bitcoin's design is that it's incredibly resistant to attack, um, both from a technological perspective and as well as as the way that its incentive uh, incentive structure was devised. And so, you know people realize very quickly that you're you're better off, um, instead of attacking Bitcoin, which can be very costly, just, you know, acquiescing to how the incentive structure is because you stand to benefit economically from doing that. And so I don't know how it's going to play out. I'm sure there's going to be a ton of unexpected twists and turns in this story. Um, you know, it may, who knows? It's often said in Bitcoin, like first suddenly and then all at once, whether we're talking about someone's kind of journey down the rabbit hole or whether we're talking about adoption or whether we're talking about price action or whatever. Um, you know, it could be the case that we're, we are kind of in the in the ninth inning of uh, global fiat currency and whether that inning lasts another one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Again, I don't know. but um, And then after that time, we're really going to need something else. And more and more people will recognize how detrimental that system was. And Bitcoin may be there to say, you know, how about this? Um, Or maybe it will be done consciously out of economic self-interest and greed. Or maybe it will be done, you know, through some other means. I don't know. I I don't have an answer to that question. But um, I don't think, I think it's unlikely that governments around the world will, will willingly adopt it because of the degree of power and control they have to give up to do so. Um, and then, in terms of resources for people, um, there's a ton. There's so many. There, as you mentioned, the Bitcoin standard is a great primer for people to kind of get, you know, concise but sufficient context on monetary history and how this story has played out several times in the past when a new money emerges on the scene and displaces the the previous money that was being used. Um, I think it's great for that. It doesn't get stuck in the weeds at all with bitcoins technology but it does give you enough to kind of appreciate it even as a you know quote-unquote layman um what other books i mean i i, I hate these questions because i've spoken to all these people and know a lot of them very well and i i uh, i just for, I, I blank on their stuff but one one resource is bitcoin-resources.com and that's just um a site that a guy has put together that basically answers that question so whether you're looking for articles books, podcasts, you know, videos, any medium, uh, he's aggregated a lot of the best stuff and put it in a way that's, you know, prioritized. So he says like, these are the books you should read. These are the articles, et cetera. And then he's just listed, you know, pretty much all the ones that you, that are worth checking out, uh, there. So, you know, um, in order to, uh, not go on a, lo- a long extended rant about all the different, um, books and stuff out there, I would say, Check out that website um, and then another website that I'm, I'm less familiar with because, you know, I, I don't um, I just haven't been there in a while. But LOPP.net, L-O-P-P.net um, is another one that uh, that basically aggregates resources as well. But between the two of those, uh, you'll there's so much excellent, excellent content uh, out there on this subject uh, these days. You know, even so much more than there was, you know, during the the big run up in 2017, that, you know, if if you're interested in this stuff and you're curious, you're spoiled for choice at this point because there's so much great content out there by so many just super impressive people.
1: Man, thank you, John, for coming on the show. Appreciate you giving us all this knowledge, all this insight. And uh, we can find you on the Bitcoin Rapid Fire podcast, correct?
0: Yep. Uh, Or, you you know, if you have specific questions, you can hit me up on Twitter. I'm at John K. Vallis, J O H N K V A L L I S, and you uh, you can hit me up there.
1: Cool. So, if you are interested in Bitcoin or learning more, potentially a piece of your portfolio going towards, you know, a lot of the problems that we just addressed with fiat currency, this seems to be, you know, in my mind, a very, very good choice. So, John, thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you taking the time. Everyone, stay safe out there. We'll be back to normal soon. At least you got the podcast. Keep it going. Two episodes a week from Simon and I. John, thanks so much for coming on the show, and we will see you guys next week.
0: My pleasure, guys. Thanks for having me. Keep up the great work. Thank you, John.